When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Movie critic Leonard Maltin is out with a new book just in time for the holidays called Starstruck, My Unlikely Road to Hollywood. We discussed his rise from New Jersey to becoming one of the most famous film critics in America, a household name to rival Siskel and Ebert. Leonard Maltin, it's an honor to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. That's very flattering. There's no way you remember this, but uh, I actually met you backstage at the Oscars, the year of the whole La La Land Moonlight envelope gaffe but uh you've probably been approached by a million people but i want to say thank you for being so nice and taking a selfie that day <laughs> oh that was that was no big deal that was the only time i've ever done that press room thing oh that was the only time you're in the isn't it kind of a circus back there it's a little crazy yes but they feed us well <laughs> yeah except on that day we were fed the wrong information we were all yes. filing the wrong winner <laughs> that was insane that was insane well you picked a bizarre one to actually do back there but um, anyway, we're here talking your new book, Starstruck. I wanted to talk to you because I'm sure it'll be a great, you know, Christmas gift, holiday gift, stocking stuff or whatever you celebrate. Um, but uh, tell me about the, the idea of the book. Well, I, you know, I, I've been doing what I do since I was a teenager, since I was a kid. And I realized I had all these stories, anecdotes, incidents. Uh, and I, you know, other than telling to my friends and dropping them into, you know, different articles I'd written over the years, I'd never really sat down and organized them and, and put them in some chronology. And then there was this thing called the pandemic. So <laughs> I, I'm a full-time writer and I work at home. So this gave me something to get up to do every morning. And uh, it was a, the, the timing was just right. So I, I don't call it an autobiography. It's not all that personal and uh, it's personal in the sense that all this happened to me and, uh, and it started when I was 13. So it covers a lot of years. Who are the, some of the famous movie stars covered in here? I, I, I've interviewed, I interviewed Catherine Hepburn, uh, four or five times. I, I lose track sometimes, but the first time I'll never forget because it was in her townhouse on the East forties in Manhattan, which apparently was right next door to Stephen Sondheim's. Wow. Rest in peace. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, uh, uh, you know, up through uh, Brad Pitt, uh, George Clooney. Uh, what, did, what did you learn from chatting with Jimmy Stewart? I mean, he's an all he's the all timer for me. Well, he's an all timer for, for a reason. Not only did he give a lot of uh, you know terrific performances, but you watch him in any of those what was I watching him in the other day? He's, he's impossible. It's impossible for him not to be sincere when he, when he uh, 
And the reason it's a wonderful life is so durable is that you believe that he is shattered. You believe that he has come to a point in his life where he's willing to take his own life. And it's only by going to that rock bottom, uh, you know, soul bearing moment that the rest of the film could take place. Oh, arguably the you know most realistic portrayal of a man on the brink of suicide. I mean, we think we think of it as this cheery holiday movie because of the the ending, but you're right. He he's he's on the brink of suicide in that movie. He is, and 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 uh, and in fact, he asked Frank Capra not to make him do that scene at the bar again. Wow, wow, it is. I mean, think about it. Think about it. It's a wonderful life. Mister Smith goes to Washington. The Philadelphia story. Uh, yeah. Shop around the corner. Vertigo. Rear window. I mean, his movies. I mean, honestly, you could put his filmography over anybody. I think. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing the name dropping, like I had asked. Thanks for double. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, you'd mentioned that you've been doing this for so long. Um, Go a little chronologically for me. I know you were born in 1950 in New York City, but tell, tell me about growing up in New Jersey. Like, when did you fall in love with movies? Like, what theaters up there were you going to? What movies did you love as a kid? Well, well, I'm a child of the first TV generation. I'm a true baby boomer. Uh, and I, in baby boom style, I was born in Manhattan. But when, when I was four, my family moved to the suburbs, really just over the George Washington Bridge uh, to Teaneck, New Jersey. So I, I could be in Manhattan within a half hour. And, and so, and I was. First of all, my parents were New Yorkers, so we went into the city, you know, to see shows and concerts and things all the time. And then when I was 12, they let me go on my own, uh, you know, with, with, with a couple of friends. And, and so I took full advantage of that. Went to the revival theaters where I did all my basic training, <laughs> learned everything everything I needed to know about movies, went to the Museum of Modern Art, where, where they wouldn't sell me a ticket to the movie. There was some uh, arcane law that they could sell me an admission to the museum and the movie was free, but you needed a separate ticket, but they wouldn't just give me the ticket to the movie. So my best friend and I would go there and we would stand on 53rd Street waiting for a friendly looking grown up <laughs> to walk by on their way into the museum and say, excuse me, and tell them our situation. And I could always find somebody who was kind enough to, to buy a ticket for me. So, oh, is, so that's because, was it be, like, you know, the rating system, you were too young to see those movies, like the St. Hayes well, Code or that, something? Un unsupervised, I guess. Wow. Well, one time the crabby person behind the, the ticket booth, who by the way, remained crabby when I worked there 10 or 15 <laughs> years later, I said, you know, you're responsible for them now. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, do you remember? Do you remember what some of those movies that you you got into actually see that those nice chaperones got you into see? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I saw the original King Kong there for the first time. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, I, it was it was the repertories. Great, you know, great world cinema. Uh, heavy emphasis on on Hollywood. Uh, in my case, those are my choices. Until I discovered the world of film, and that uh, so many masterpieces did not come from Hollywood. Uh, and that's all part of my maturing process as a film buff. Tell me about that maturing process, because, you know, you're you're growing up, you're watching movies. You know, you mentioned King Kong and you meant, yeah, I'm sure like Disney movies. I know you've written extensively about Pinocchio and all those. Um, but tell me about the, the maturing process around the time that you start writing for classic images. You start your own magazine, Film Fan Monthly. You start writing in Variety TV Guide. 
Talk about sort of did what was sort of like those epiphany movies where you realized, oh my God, there's this whole other level of symbolic, you know, oh my God, Orson Welles, John Ford. There's there's a whole other language going on here. Well, uh, uh, the first director who I ever saw uh, speak was uh, not a famous name today, but Ruben Mamoulian. Oh, of course. You know, was a you know a, a major major director. He he. He was a stage director. He did Porgy and Bess, the, the first production of that. Uh, he directed Oklahoma uh, on Broadway for the first time. Uh, and he did some landmark early talkie films. And he was a very witty, eloquent man, a, a perfect uh, sort of uh, guidepost into that world of what was going on behind the scenes and made me think about who's pulling the strings here, not just who's on camera. And, and, and so he had a very, very uh, big impact on me. And then I discovered it was the right time uh, of, of the century uh, to discover Truffaut and uh, Fellini mm -hmm. and Kurosawa and, uh, and the Italian neorealists and uh, Bergman wow. and all of that. Wow, I, I love hearing about sort of your evolution there and and Macmillan, really, all right, who would have known? I would have never known that. Um, and then tell me about publishing your, you know, that and you became so famous for publishing the annual Leonard Maltin's movie guide, I guess from what, 1969 to 2014, I think those are the dates. That's right, that's right. Um, how did you land that, that initial deal? I guess you're still, what, a late teenager at that point. And, you know, what is sort of the concept of I'm going to do these little, you know, small capsules? Was, well, the main thing I have to tell you is not my concept. Uh, a, 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 an English teacher in my high school gave me the name of an editor who was a dear friend of hers at Signet Books in New York. And she said, I have a feeling the two of you would hit it off. Here's his name and number. Call him and make a date after school one day to go see him. <laughs> so I did. Now, of course, I didn't know what that would lead to, but I had, you know, ideas dancing in my head about, you know, him hiring me to do, you know, some some great book project or other. Well, uh, he asked me if I knew of a book called Movies on TV, a thick paperback book with capsule reviews of thousands of movies. I said, I use it every day. He said, what do you think of it? I said, well, it's pretty good as far as it goes. He said, what would you do differently? I mean, this is all, you know, off the top of my head. Right. I said, well, uh, he only lists like two cast names. I'd put in more, more cast names. He doesn't give you the name of the director. I'd do that. I'd say how long the movie originally ran. So, you know, if the TV station was cutting it, which they did a lot those days. Uh, and I was able to rattle off all these things because, I, I, you know, I knew that book inside and out. And he said, well, how'd you like to do it? I said, do what? He said, I'm looking for somebody to do a rival book. How'd you like to do it? Wow. And I said, well, I guess so. Yeah. I was 17 in the 12th grade, about to graduate. And the man handed me this on a platter. And he said, so what are you going to do now? I said, well, I've been accepted at NYU this fall. He said, what do you want to do that for? I just gave you a job. <laughs> I, but I was kind of a very straight arrow guy. I mean, I was supposed to go to college. So that's what I did. I went to college, but meanwhile, finished that book. I, he, he said, you'll have to hire people to help you. Make sure you have some money left over. Those are sage words of advice. <laughs> 
Wow, that is incredible. And so, yeah, I mean, through that over the year, publishing that every year, um, you became a household name, at least in print. Um, but talk about how you also transitioned and your face became a household name um, with, I guess, what was it, like 30 years on Entertainment Tonight? And actually, sir, even an appearance on South Park, and I guess what, they referenced you on The Sopranos? Like, Talk about how, what it's been like to not only be a, 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 you know, a known critic, the likes of which maybe only Roger Ebert, you know, that people know, um, but also becoming this pop culture persona where you're on friggin' South Park. <laughs> Well, that's the best PR I've ever had being on <laughs> South Park. And my daughter says it made her cool at school <laughs> for, for like two weeks. The fact that I was, and I was depicted, I, I did not appear, but I was depicted on South Park, but in a heroic role. They didn't diss me. They, they put me in a very positive light, which is, uh, uh, that's my great distinction there. Uh, right. And uh, well, it, it's, uh, it's mind blowing, you know, it, it's, uh, nothing I ever dreamt of uh, to become, you know, th this this figure. And, and uh, the greatest phone call I ever had was when I'd been on Entertainment Tonight about a year and a half, two years, and, and living, we, we thought temporarily, my wife and I, living temporarily in Los Angeles. <laughs> I have a call from my editor back in New York who said, well, we just had our sales meeting for the fall and we want to make two changes to the cover of the book. If it's okay with you, I said, what are the changes? He said, we want to put your name above the title and your picture on the cover. I said, <laughs> well, it's okay with me. I mean, I could have begged them for that two years earlier, three years earlier. They would have thought I was nuts. But now because of television and because E.T. had taken off like a rocket and become the, the sensational uh, hit show. And, and that, too, was an accident. Uh, you know, came about about as logically as my getting published for the first time. It just happened. And uh, and I rode that uh, the crest of that way for a long time. Wow. Yeah. E.T. taking off like a rocket or like a, a bicycle, I guess. <laughs> e. um, well, that too. And you got your name above the title. Was, was that the old Capra uh, thing? Yeah, right, right. Uh, well, cool. Well, it got to the point where, you know, it's sort of full circle where, you know, you're doing all these interviews and fan letters that become interviews, like you mentioned earlier. But um, it got to the point where you were so famous that, let's say, I know you describe Will Smith spotting you in a Malibu restaurant and coming saying hi to you where suddenly well, now you were the one well, that they sought out. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about seek out, but uh, <laughs> we were living here about a year when we got invited to the uh, uh, AFI uh, Life Achievement Award Gala, which later becomes a TV special. Sure. And the, the year they, was, uh, they were honoring the great Lillian Gish, uh, but they had a typically uh, A-list turnout for that. And a friend of ours who had been to that before said, when, when it's over, don't leave because the, the, the people with the best seats have to wait for the audience to thin out before they can leave the room. So uh, Alice and I lingered and stared. And then we saw standing over to the side, Fred Astaire and his young wife, Robin. I went over to say hello. And I just made small talk. You know, hey, wasn't this a great night? You know, what a beautiful tribute. And, and they're talking to me. And then Mr. Astaire says, you look so familiar. Why do I know your face? And his wife jabs him in the ribs and says, oh, Fred, that's Leonard Malton. We watch him all the time on Entertainment Tonight. 
Oh well, my just, God, just, Fred Astaire. Kill me now. <laughs> That's it. Doesn't get better than that. Yeah, his wife watching it backwards in high heels, I guess. Wow, that's (laughs) so crazy, so crazy. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Um, But I guess in in closing, um, you know, you now you're blessed that you, you know, you have a daughter that's following in your own footsteps. Well, she doesn't review and she doesn't pretend to be a reviewer. (laughs) What she has, what she's got, she's soaked in what I do through osmosis. And she knows a lot. She knows more than she thinks she knows. Uh, but we we co-host a weekly podcast called Maltodon Movies, where we interview people for an hour. Uh, and uh, so we have a chance to stretch out and really talk to and get to meet and get to know a little bit uh, some wonderful people. We've had great guests. We've had Al Pacino, uh, Angela Lansbury, Mel Brooks, uh, uh, Jordan Peele, Amy Adams, uh, all sorts of folks. And uh, we have a great time doing it. And a lot of people are very charmed by the fact that it's a father-daughter duo. Uh, it's not an everyday experience for them. So we, we just have a wonderful time. And it's available wherever you get podcasts, Maltodon Movies. And our entire five and a half year backlog is there too. Wow. Everybody check out Malton on Movies and the podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, stop right now. Go subscribe and you can come back. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, I guess I got to ask, do you have a favorite movie or at least uh, several favorite movies? I know it's impossible to, to boil it down, but is there one or two or three that you always come back to? There's one. Giving you my number one is easy. Once it gets past number one, it gets a little, little tougher to, yeah. to do that because I like so many movies so much. Sure. But my all-time favorite is still Casablanca. Uh, it's the best. That, that's, that's the film that, and I was lucky enough to see that on a theater screen in a revival in the late 60s uh, during the counterculture revolution when uh, young people adopted Humphrey Bogart as one of their poster boys. And so I saw it with an audience in a theater for the first time. And I've never, I've never grown tired of it. In fact, I discover new things every time I see it. Awesome. Well, then then to quote an obscure line from that is, Mr. Malton, we all try, but you succeed. <laughs> oh, well, you know your stuff, Jason. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, everyone check out, obviously, the podcast we mentioned, but pick up a copy of the book. It's called Starstruck by Leonard Malton. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice to meet you again. You too. Happy holidays. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.